The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would please, to Exodus chapter 20. It's a great privilege to stand here today to open God's Word. I'm very thankful for the overwhelmingly positive response responses that I've had to these messages on the Ten Commandments. I didn't know that this series would generate as much interest as it has. When people come up afterwards and tell me, well, that was a very convicting sermon, that's a positive response. And I, I'm glad to hear that. Certainly, when we speak of these commandments, we realize that we're guilty of not keeping the commandments as we should, and so we should be convicted by God's Word when we hear it. Now, I think this proves, as the psalmist said, that God's people delight in His law. I can preach on the Ten Commandments because God's people do delight in the law. We don't hate the restrictions that are found in the law. We love it because we know these are things that make us like God. We don't consider the commandments to be restrictions upon our liberty. And that's because we want no liberty except as it will make us closer to God, that we please God by worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And likewise, I believe that God's people love this fourth commandment, that true Christians will obey it. They are delighted to come together for worship. They're glad when someone says to them, let us go to the house of the Lord. And that's because Christians love the preaching of God's Word. They love to sing praises to the glory of God. They, they love to pray. They love to fellowship with one another. And all of these things make the Lord's Day very special to us. Sunday's not drudgery for God's people. It's not an obligation that we are forced to obey. We do it because we want to. And so when you find a Christian who looks for every excuse not to be in church... And then when you find a Christian, they can't wait until the sermon is over to get out of here. Then you may have found someone that's not a Christian at all. And I seriously wonder about churches that have cut out services. They keep getting less and less and less the opportunities to come and worship God. And so they take away from the Lord's time in order to maximize their time. And they give God as little as they can and yet still hold on to some kind of conscience that they are doing what God tells them to do. And so churches will have Friday night services and Saturday night services. And the purpose of that is so people can free themselves up from going on Sunday. And then they can have more of the weekend for themselves. And so they give God an hour on Friday night. They get worship as over with just as soon as they can. Because there are more important things to do. Now in these messages on the fourth commandment, I want to show you why that the holy God lays such stress on this one day of the week. And I want to warn you up front, some of you may be sorry that you came today. This is going to touch all of us. You should be really glad if the word of God convicts you, but I can promise you this is not going to be pleasant on our flesh, what I have to tell you about today. Now, in this commandment, God says that this day is his day, that it is reserved for him, that you dare not touch it, that you dare not abuse it, that you dare not misuse it, that you dare not misappropriate it for yourself. 
It's a holy, sanctified day that is set apart for God's purposes. What does God say about this day? What does he command it? We find it in the 8th verse of Exodus 20, and then following down to verse number 11, that this is what God said. And I thought about how we should read this scripture today. What, what would make it have the most impact on us as God's people? And I don't think it is for me to read it to you. I think it is for us to read it together. And just take the words in and see what does God say about this day. So if you would, let's stand up in reverence for reading God's word. I want you to read it with me, beginning in verse number 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, let's read that last phrase there, starting with wherefore one more time. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, by way of introduction to this commandment this morning, I want you to notice a few important observations about it that are laying right here on the surface and are very easy for us to grab. Later, we're going to go down deeper into this commandment. But for now, I want you to see some things that you should very easily see. First would be the length of the commandment. Now, when Moses wrote this record, when God gave it to him. There weren't any verse numbers. There weren't any chapter divisions that set these things off. But we can look at it now, and we can see the verse numbers, and we can count them, and we can see that there is more space that is given to this commandment than to any of the other nine. And then as we carefully read how it's stated, we notice that there are only two positive commands that are given in the list of the Ten Commandments, this one and the one that comes afterward. But this one also has a negative aspect. There is a you shall and there is a you shall not. And it's the only command that contains both positive and negative. And then further, we can see that there are more arguments that are made to support this commandment that are made about the others. There are many who recognize this commandment. There's two commandments in one. Uh, There is a command to rest, and there is a command to work. Did you notice that? Most of, uh, of us only notice the part about stopping work for the Lord's Day, but doesn't it also say here, six days shalt thou labor? And I hope to talk about that because that's not an incidental part of this command. There is a divine economy. God's divine economy for man is that we should work. And so we can see that there are some interesting components that are open and on the surface here that would cause us to think that there's something very special about this commandment. Now, it's important. It can't be shoved off and relegated to the Old Testament that this is the old fogey way of doing things. Well, this is part of God's binding moral law to make us more like him. And then there's not only those things, but we also have to note that this one comes at the end of the first table of the law. 
so that you could imagine it like this, that God gave Moses two tablets of stone on which are written the Ten Commandments. And although our graphic that we have here doesn't show it this way, I can imagine that on the first tablet were written four commandments that concern our relationship with God. And these commandments say that there is one God and only one. He is God alone. And they say that he can't be represented by images of wood or stone. They tell us that he cannot be worshipped in the wrong way. They tell us that he has a name that is above all other names. And to speak his name, we must speak it with the utmost reverence. And then there is this fourth commandment that says that there is a day that exclusively belongs to him. That this is a day that's set apart for holy purposes and recognizing who God is according to those first three commandments. That he deserves glory because of who he is. However, we also learn that this commandment is not for his needs. The commandments are not because God needs anything, but this is a commandment that is good for man. That God made the commandment for man, that it's helpful for us, it's best for us to give God the day to worship him. And so on that first tablet of stone, I can picture these four commandments that speak of our relationship with God. And Jesus divided the commandments in that way. Four that teach us to love God with our heart, our soul, our minds, and our strength. And then there is a second tablet, and on it are six commandments. These are about man's relationship with man. Jesus said, those six teach us to love our neighbor as ourself. And those six are also about God because they are set by God's own example. That God does what is best for man. And he proved that by sending his own son to die for us. And so if God loves people, the commandments teach us that we are also to love people if we're going to be like him. And then also by way of introduction, I want to comment on how this fourth commandment raises more questions than any of the others. The fourth commandment is more resisted than the others. The fourth commandment is shown less respect by Christians than any of the others. Now, for some reason, we think that the fourth commandment exists in shades of gray, that there's much latitude in the interpretation of it. When I read a commandment that says, as the sixth one does, thou shalt not kill... I don't have much problem understanding that. I, I understand that. I know that there are questions about self-defense and about war, but those questions are easily answered. Christians have no problem with thou shalt not kill. I understand thou shalt not steal. I might find ways to do it, but I'm easily ashamed if I'm discovered that I've stolen anything. And so if someone says that you've stolen this, I'm not going to argue with that, and I'm not going to say I, I didn't steal when I did steal but I'll be sorry for it. And despite crazy debates, Christians really do understand, thou shalt not commit adultery. There's much shame in adultery. And a Christian may do it, but then when he does, it wrenches his gut. He's bothered by that, and so he comes in repentance. And then commands, one, two, and three. I don't have any problem with that. No gods, no idols, no degrading of God's name. I get that. And so I'm not going to boldly walk into the church and do any of those things. I'll do my best to stay away from those things. And if I do it, I'm going to go straight to my knees in repentance. I get that. And I'm sure I'm, I'm going to do my very best not to break those commandments. But this commandment's different. For most people, and sadly for almost all Christians, 
There is no shame in breaking the fourth commandment. There are no pangs of conscience. There's no angst over it. There's no sorrow for it. We will take God's name and we will do with it as we please. And so we take this holy day. We disregard it. It doesn't bother us. There aren't any tears of repentance. We will repeatedly abuse his day. We'll miss worship as much as we like. And most of you will come in on a Sunday and you'll never think for a moment that you need to bow before the holy God and ask him to forgive you for what you have done. Now during the summer months especially, Sunday is a free day for Christians. For some reason when school is out, so is church. We all need a vacation. I'm not disputing that. We, we take vacations, that's fine. But there are some of you who think that a summer of Sundays are yours to do with as you please. And the question is, are you not members here? Are you not pledged by your membership to work in the church and to worship here? Now I can tell you that if you break commandment number six, thou shalt not kill, that the church will have something to say about that. There will be a disciplinary process that you'll have to go through if you did that. If you break commandment number seven, the church is going to do something about it. Many churches won't, but we will. You can't commit adultery and be a member of Berean Baptist Church. And for some reason, some folks will break commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal, because you will steal, you will steal tithes and offerings from God. Actually, God doesn't call it stealing, he calls it highway robbery. You won't, you'll do that, but there's one thing that you won't do. You're not going to go down to Chase Bank down the street here and stick a gun in the face of the teller and demand all of the money and then expect that you're going to go to church and the church wouldn't have something to say about that. But commandment number four is different. It's regularly broken. All those other commandments that I just mentioned then were on the second tablet, but this one is on the first. This one is aimed directly at God. You can get to God through man in the other commandments, but this is on the first table. This is aimed at God. And yet there's not a minute's remorse from Christians for breaking the fourth commandment. I've been in church ministry for more than 40 years, and I never remember a Christian who came broken down because he'd taken the Lord's day and did his own thing. Now, one act of adultery, that's different. A person will come, he'll beg for forgiveness. I even knew a man who shot his wife on the doors of the church, on the steps of the church, at the doors, and he forever lives in the regret of killing his wife. But Christians regularly despise the Lord's day. They shatter it with abuse. They do whatever they want. And then they'll walk in on the next Sunday as if they'd done nothing at all. No sorrow, no repentance. They go, they travel, they're gone, they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. They work, they play, they go to ball games. They never shed a tear of regret. They shake their finger in the face of God and they say, We will do with your day as we please. And how does the church react to that? Well, we don't tell people, you must repent. You've broken the fourth commandment. You need to come in repentance. We don't say it. No, we accept it. We don't require to keep, for people to keep commandment number four, the Ten Commandments. Not this one. If you steal, yes. If you kill, yes, certainly. If you burn incense to Buddha in your backyard, yes. But this one, no one carefully 
seeks repentance with tears over this. Now, I know that churches in the past were very strict about it. I've read some of the business meetings of churches in the 17th and the 18th centuries, and sometimes they'll read like this. Brother John Smith was excluded from the church because he missed too many Lord's Days. You know how he could get back in? He had to repent. Many of you don't regard the day. You don't keep the commandment. You might be here and you might not. And nobody goes down to their knees and says, Lord, forgive me. I took your day and I used it for myself. I stole your time of worship and used that time for me. And so, Lord, I've been disrespectful to your fourth commandment. Now, as the modern saying goes, are you feeling this? You know what I mean? Do you get my drift? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a commandment that is on the fourth table of the law. It's grouped together with what Jesus said is the greatest commandment in the law. How do you love God supremely if you disrespect his day? And so this one is grouped with no gods, no idols, reverencing the name of the Almighty God. He said, remember the day and keep it holy. And you say, no, I don't think so. The kids have a soccer game. There's a playoff game on TV. Friends are visiting from out of town. Got another vacation plan. And then just another one on this while we got the hammer down. Many of you think that you're great Christians even though you do this. If I were to ask you by your own testimony, you would say to me, I'm holy. I'm committed to God. I'm committed to my church. But if I were to ask you, if you commit adultery 22 Sundays a year, are you a good Christian? If you sneaked into your neighbor's yard 30 times last year at night to steal something from him, are you a good Christian? If you killed 10 people last year, are you a good Christian? And how in the name of common sense can you break the fourth commandment on a regular basis and say, I'm a good Christian? So when we look at your church attendance, we see absent, absent, absent. Here's another absence. There's another one. And how do we look at that record and we say, well, my, what stellar Christians these people are. Brother Dalton used to keep a, a, a record of every service of the church. And all the members were listed on that sheet. We had 10 o'clock hour on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. We had 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. We had Wednesday night service. Mainly, that was a tool to keep track of what our teachers are doing. How are they attending the services? But everybody's name was on there. And you, I suppose you wouldn't be surprised to find out there were many, many members of Berean Baptist Church who couldn't even make it to a third of those services. Consider that for just a minute. You miss on a Wednesday night. Now, I'm not trying to lay down doctrine for it here, but you miss on a Wednesday night, you just miss 25% of services. 25%. If you're regular, if you don't regularly come on a Wednesday night, 25% of church services you miss. You don't come on a Sunday night, now you're up to half. You miss Sunday school, now you're up to three quarters. Who is a good Christian that misses three quarters of church services? Do you understand me? You see where I'm going with this? But Sunday, of course, this is the day that we're mainly talking about. You, you miss Sunday, you've broken the fourth commandment. So how do you claim that you're a good Christian when you miss 15 Sundays out of the year, you're absent from church, there are 20 Sundays that you're vacationing, you're camping, you're ball gaming, you're sleeping, or whatever it is that you do? Are you a good Christian if you think that the fourth commandment is not for you? It's one of the ten. It's not different from the other commandments, and yet Christians do not treat this commandment like the other ones. 
This commandment or the other ones don't have any latitude of interpretation. We would all agree with that, but not this one. Oh, we've got all kinds of excuses for this one. And some of you may be seething just a little bit right now, and you say, well, that crazy preacher, what he's trying to do is tie me to the church pew. I've got, I, I, I can't do that. And, and you're very uncomfortable about this, because to change something means that you'd have to have a dramatic lifestyle upheaval. Wouldn't you? To change that and make it like I've just talked to you about? It's a great lifestyle upheaval for you to go to church. And that's exactly my point. You love what you're doing more than you love worshiping God. Now, do you remember then what I said in the first 30 seconds of the message? Did you hear the part about Christians loving preaching and loving singing and loving praying and praising God? Did you amen that part? But then you owe me this part? What does the last part of verse number 11 say? The Lord hallowed the day. He said to Moses and to Joshua, Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And so how do you so often abuse the Lord's day and call yourself a good Christian? Are you happy that I've told you this? Are you happy about that? Or are you sitting there right now trying to justify yourself? I think most of you probably thought that we've come to the fourth commandment and this would be easy. All the pastors are going to get up and, oh, yeah, 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 he's going to talk about church attendance for a little while, and then he's going to talk about going to church and all of that, then we'll be done, and you thought coming to church today would be just okay. Not a problem here. Oh, you took commandment number one pretty well. Let's, let's be against the Muslims and against the Buddhists and Hindus who have other gods. We don't do that. So let's preach against the relativists and let's preach against the pluralists and against the liberals because that's not us. And then commandment number two, you took that pretty well. You don't have idols. You're not like superstitious Roman Catholics. So preach against that. We don't do that. And then you took commandment number three reasonably well. It's all we're all good Christians because we try to keep our mouths under control. We don't curse. Oh, we, we do slip every now and then, but basically we're okay. And then we come to this fourth commandment, and then God's wrath comes down on our heads. You care little to nothing about the Lord's day. Maybe you're here, maybe you're not. I'm being serious with you because God is serious. If you think not, then consider for just a minute, how did this commandment get on the list of God's all-time acts of obedience? How did it get here? Now look at it again. There's much support for this commandment. There's more here than there is for any of the others. More argument is made about this one than for the others. There's both positive and negative in this commandment. It stands out. How could God be more serious about it? What could God say? What could he do to tell you that he's serious about this commandment than to show us the length of it, to say more about this, to get more argument for it, to insist upon this? What's going to convince you that God is serious about the fourth commandment? And then still one more word of introduction. You can't say that this sermon is too rough. You can't say, well, I'm not coming back to hear the rest of that. I don't want to hear the other parts of that sermon. No, you can't do that because then you would prove exactly what I'm saying. You'd prove my point. You condemn yourself. You don't need God or me to do it. You do it yourself. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 2 for just a minute. I want to show you something in, in this part of the chapter. 
Paul is speaking here about the hypocrisy of the Jews, that they claimed that they were superior to the Gentiles because they said, we have the law, we obey the law. And the question was, did they really obey it? Now, I want you to see this, and I want to show you what happens if I change just one word in this text. Now, if you'll permit me, I'd like to substitute one word. I'll not change the truth by doing it, but I want you to see this to make a point. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse number 17. The word change will come in the first sentence. Behold, thou art called a Christian, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? Now let's plug in the fourth commandment into verse number 23. Paul's already plugged in the others before this. And let's read it this way. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the fourth commandment dishonorest thou God. Are you a hypocrite because you can tell others how to be a good Christian and yet you break the fourth commandment? Have you got the picture yet? Oh, we let ourselves off easy on the fourth commandment, but God does not. If you're guilty of breaking his law, this law, what are you guilty of? Breaking all of it. Isn't this what James said? If you offend in one point, you have offended in all. You've broken the whole law. Well, now I've got that out of my system. I think we can move on. Now, I'm not mad at anybody about this. I'm just being very serious about it. You know, I honestly, I honestly labored about how I was going to start this message. I didn't think it would be very difficult. Uh, I didn't know how it started, so I just started organizing my thoughts, getting an outline together. Uh, I, I, I was just trying to get that outline going, but then there was something that was bothering me. And so I sat down and I started writing the introduction and I put just a few words of introduction that I gave you at the beginning about how Christians love to go to church. And then I started to think about that. How much do we really love to go to church? Are we committed to our church? Now we say that we are, but what do we really think about the Lord's Day? Do we really obey the command and the spirit that God, that God gave it? So I started then writing about that surface stuff. I said, you know, things that show up right on the surface about the command. And I learned there that it's far less complicated than I could have imagined. Are we not able to do the very simplest thing that the command says? Do we honor God's day or do we not? And that's how the introduction turned out to be 30 minutes. But now I'm through with introduction, I hope. So let's begin the message. If I still have your attention and you didn't desert me five minutes in... Let me make my observation upon the first importance of this text. This is first. We won't get any further than this today. Number one is remember the day. That's how the commandment starts. Remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Now it should be obvious that to remember something, you first have to know it. 
You can't remember something that you didn't know. Now that might seem to be a, a very obvious thing, a very insignificant thing, but this is very important in understanding this commandment. We need to remember, remember and understand why the principle of the Sabbath day is still binding upon us today. Now Israel, when this was given to Israel, this is not said to them to remember from this day going forward. I mean, not in the sense that what Moses had done was introduced to them something that was new. That now here they have the law, here's a new law for the law, and going from this day forward, they're to remember this day. No, that's not how it's given. They are to remember what the Lord had told them before to do. And there are several reasons why that is significant. One is because I've just said there are some who don't think that the Sabbath is binding on Christians today. The idea that there is a specific day out of seven days that's set aside for worship is not a part of their thinking. And there are some otherwise good Bible teachers that say that there is no Sabbath for Christians. Now, as much as I respect Dr. John MacArthur, I disagree with him on this. He says that this is Old Testament law that's been done away with, that we are not bound to a Sabbath principle. Now, of course, he does believe in worship, but he says that the idea of a Sabbath is passe. But to understand this, you need to know what Sabbath means. And if you think that it means to worship on Saturday, then you would be right. There is no Sabbath. We don't worship on Saturday, but that's not what Sabbath means. Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. Maybe it looks a little bit like Saturday, but there's no connection between Saturday and the Sabbath. Saturday is a Roman derivative named after the Roman god Saturn, the planet Saturn, and so on. But Sabbath is a Hebrew word, and Sabbath means rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest from regular labor. It's a day that's different because we don't labor. We rest from labor. And not that it means that we rest on the couch, that we set aside all labor, but that we set aside the labor that we normally do in order that we may be able to worship the Lord. Now, MacArthur teaches that there is a day of worship, but it's not a Sabbath. And I disagree with that. In fact, the vast majority of Christians through 20 centuries have disagreed with that. Old commentators disagree with that. On old Baptist creeds and confessions, along with those of old denominational churches, disagree with that. You'll find it in our Articles of Faith, in Article number 15, which describes this day as a day that we abstain from secular labor in preparation for the rest of the people of God. Many other Baptist confessions, such as the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, in article number 22, paragraph number 7, states that the Sabbath is to be continued to the end of the world as a Christian Sabbath. But one of the objections about Moses teaching people to remember the Sabbath as opposed to remembering a new Sabbath, or one that's been freshly put into the law, is that it seems to be missing. All the way from Genesis chapter 2 until almost Exodus chapter 20 when Israel left Egypt. But the text of the fourth commandment says very clearly in verse number 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now that's what they were to remember. It took them all the way back to the very beginning Back to Genesis chapter 2 where we read this. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So they were to remember God created the world in six days and then on the seventh day he rested or in other words God himself observed the Sabbath. Now if you look at the English behind the English to see the Hebrew word here the word Rested is the word Shabbath. Whenever you see Sabbath in the Old Testament, the word is actually Shabbath, which has as its root Shabbath. I hope you got that. Just remember this, that rest and Sabbath are the same word. Now that teaches that the Sabbath is as old as man. That God gave the Sabbath immediately after the creation. God hallowed the day. Way back then, he set it apart, he sanctified it, and he gave man the first principle of worship. And you can be sure that it was established and that it was customary from the Garden of Eden for there to be a seventh-day Sabbath. It was practiced in the Garden in Genesis, all the way to the Exodus in Egypt, although, of course, there were many people who are just like modern-day Christians that didn't have much regard for it, but still God gave it and his people did it. He said, well, how do you know things like this? Well, let, let's take a look at another scripture. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 7. And we see an interesting point about the operation of seven-day cycles all the way from the very beginning. There isn't any reason that time was not kept among the Hebrews on 10-day cycles or 12-day cycles or five days or whatever. Why is it that they stuck to seven days as given by God? Well, let's take a look here. And see what happened with Noah. Maybe you've overlooked this before. Or maybe you haven't seen it in this context. But Genesis chapter 7 verse number 4. For yet seven days. This is God speaking. For yet seven days. And I will cause it to rain upon the earth. Forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made. Will I destroy from off the face of the earth. Then verse number 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Now we go to chapter 7. Now Noah's in the ark. He's still keeping track of time with seven days. Verse number 10. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Verse number 12. And he stayed yet other seven days. And sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. Now what does that teach us? It teaches that from Adam to Noah which we believe to be a period of about 1,700 years, there was a cycle of seven days. In other words, this principle of seven days was well established. Noah took his actions on seven-day intervals. He could have waited 10 days. He could have waited 12 days. But it's seven days, and that's according to the order of creation. So there's no reason. Did you know this? There is no reason why time is kept in seven-day cycles today other than this. It's the principle of the Sabbath. Now, when God told Moses to remember the Sabbath, the command was not to forget what God had already established and what they knew that was put into them, that they knew this all the way back to the creation. And that tells us that the Sabbath was not new when God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, notice also Exodus chapter 16, if you'll turn there. This is before the law. It's given in chapter 20. Israel is in the wilderness. 
There, and here we have, without any other word of explanation, we have what Moses told Israel to do. It's about the collection of manna. Exodus 16, verse number 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which he will bake today, and see that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, Listen, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Now that's obvious. They already understood what Sabbath meant. It was a command before it was put into the Ten Commandments. And that's very important because it shows us that the Sabbath is transcendent law. It's not ceremonial, as some suggest. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did not do away with the requirement of a Sabbath. Not when he did away with all the ceremonial laws. Now, let me show that to you. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, where we see uh, a future application of the Sabbath after Jesus' death. Uh, in this part of the 24th chapter, Jesus is discussing the coming of the Antichrist at some point that is still future. And notice what he says in verses 15 through 21, Matthew chapter 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now this is talking about the Antichrist. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now there you see a Sabbath. Jesus talking about a Sabbath that was at least 2,000 years into the future from the time that he spoke it. There isn't any intent that Jesus would do away with the principle of the Sabbath when he died on the cross. And so in Exodus 20, verse 8, Moses took Israel back to the past to remember what God did. And then he said, look to the future, and God's people should always keep this command until he comes again. So what I'm trying to tell you is that you can't look at this as Old Testament and wiggle out of it because you find it in the Old Testament. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You can't spiritualize this by giving God an hour on some other day. This is His day. The whole day belongs to Him. He hallowed it. He sanctified it for His use. He didn't throw out the Second Commandment. He didn't throw out the Sixth Commandment, or the Seventh, or the Tenth. Then why this one? Why would we think that there's one out of the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to do any longer? Now, this one ranks with all the others. It's the first part of the Decalogue, which should tell us 
how we are to obey it, just like all of the others. He didn't throw out stealing. He didn't throw out adultery. He didn't throw out killing. There's no sense. You have no sense at all that God threw those laws out. Then why is it that we don't repent when we don't keep the fourth commandment? Well, I'm going to stop here. I have a lot more to say about this commandment. You've been patient to let me berate you for three-fourths of this sermon. So now we can all go home and we can think about what I've said. And as usual with the messages, I'm open for discussion. If you think I'm wrong, please come and show me because I want to be right. I'm happy to talk to you about it. And I promise you that on Sundays I will be here. Now, I know that you're going to say, well, Pastor Smith is a hypocrite. Because Pastor Smith is not going to be here next Sunday. And I would have to admit, this is the most ill-timed sermon that I've ever preached while I've been here. Um, But we have to ask, did a Christian ever miss a Sunday? Well, of course they did. The spirit of the command is, what do you do? What what is your habit? What do you normally do? What's your habit on the Lord's Day? The spirit of the commandment is, do you regularly use the Lord's Day for yourself? Now, the truth, of course, is the pastor has no day of vacation unless it's a vacation from the pulpit, an absent from the Sunday pulpit. Sunday's my biggest work day, and so unless you want to kill me with the letter of the law, just grant me today, next week, that I'm not being hypocritical about this. My, my habit is to be here, and if we want to sit down and compare attendance records, I'm happy to sit down with you to see. So think about these things for two weeks, all right? Think about them for two weeks. Come back next week because you should... Come back next week to hear the word of God, to worship the Lord on his day. But then also come back in two weeks where we can talk more about this fourth commandment and how God says, you are to remember my day to keep it holy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for these commandments. Lord, we know they're not intended to upset us. They're not intended to hurt us. No, no way that we would ever be able to argue that obeying this commandment could be harmful to us. Uh, What we would prefer to do is to use this day like we do others, do what we want to do. But it should be in the heart of a Christian by the fact of our regeneration that we want to honor you on your day, that we want to have that fellowship, that we want to be with God's people, that we want to hear the word preached and Be here as often as we can to do that and to make it our habit to be here on the Lord's day so that when we're not here, it seems like an extremely unusual thing that the person would not be here because they always are. Could we be those kind of people rather than just those who hit and miss and we never know who's going to show up? We don't want to do that. We don't want to be that way. We want to honor your day because this is what you've told us to do. And not only that, Lord, but... The New Testament teaches that disciples assembled on the Lord's day. That was their way of showing that they were obeying this commandment. They came, they assembled, and they came for worship to hear the preaching of God's word. Lord, help us to be those kinds of Christians, to honor your day and to repent when we know that we haven't kept it as we should. Speak to our hearts, convict us. With this message, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275.
or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.